Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. The way we transition what nature has to offer us into our living human cells is through our digestive tract. That's how we break down these beautiful packages of, of nutrition called food and turn it into our cells. And our cells are always turning over. Every cell turns over about every seven years. So we're really only seven years old. And you know, the question I ask my clients a lot is like, what did you create those cells out of over the past seven years? Living a healthy, balanced life is no small feat, especially when you're a mom. With meals to cook, laundry to load, work to do, and humans to raise, it can be easy to feel like we're in an on-again, off-again relationship with healthy living. But it doesn't have to feel this way. I believe living a healthy life has become way too complicated. What we need isn't a new plan or program telling us what to eat or how to live. We need simple, uncomplicated routines and information that's going to help us live our best, most beautiful life without rules and restrictions. Join me, Kristen Dofniak, holistic health coach, certified intuitive eating counselor, and mama of two for weekly conversations on what it means to live a healthy, balanced life, uncomplicate eating, and simplify in every area of mom life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. Chris here, your host, and I am so excited to kick off a brand new series with all of you on gut health. This is one of the number one requested topics here on the podcast whenever I ask you guys for whatever health topics you want to hear more about. Gut health is always number one up there with hormone health. And since I have been very open in sharing my own gut health, Health journey, uh, whenever I have had struggles with my gut health, things that I've done to get my health back in balance, um, my gut health specifically back in balance, but your gut health really relates to your entire body. It's crucial in the health of your immune system, your hormonal system. It's so important. It's so much more than just not feeling bloated all the time. And I struggled with my gut health for many, many years. I saw several doctors and nutritionists, most of which really didn't give me much relief other than one medication that helped me for a short period of time and then ended up creating more problems later on. 
So I was very excited when I was able to meet with our guest today. Over a decade ago, our guest, Josh Gatellis, helped me personally heal my gut, get my gut back into balance, as well as my hormones. And he was honestly the first practitioner that was really able to give me solid advice that not only gave me relief, but transformed my gut health for the long term by learning what it is my body needs for good gut health. And he put me on a protocol that was gradual and really helped me to find what works for my body. And as we talk about in the episode, even when I'm feeling like my gut is a little bit off now, I know exactly what to do to get it back into balance. I know what foods to eat and what foods to not eat. I know what supplements work for my body. And in today's episode, we are talking about why it's so important to get Get to the root cause of our gut issues so we can really truly heal. We also talk about how important our overall lifestyle and what we do around eating, how it can really transform our gut health. It's not just about what we put on our plates or what we don't put on our plates, though those things are important. Gut health is so much more than that. We talk about how important it is to not fight Mother Nature, but learn the things that are good for our gut and practice them and how we can pass those things on to our kids as well. Josh shares some of the most important things to look out for when it comes to our gut health, some of the most important things to put on our plate for our gut health, supplements that he believes everyone, including our kids, need to include, why testing isn't always the first step when it comes to our gut health, but some of the things that we need to ask before we even dig into testing, and some of the daily life lifestyle practices that we can take in order to improve our gut health. This was a fantastic episode, as I thought it would be. I always love talking to Josh. It was so fun to catch up, and I'm so excited that all of you got to be there along with me. So for those of you who don't yet know Josh, Josh Gatellis, clinical nutritionist, is a recognized expert in the fields of clinical detoxification and therapeutic supplementation. He runs a Toronto-based private practice with a worldwide client base. As a leader in his field, Josh teaches clinical nutrition for several natural health colleges and is the first Canadian nutritionist to become an Institute for Functional Medicine certified practitioner. Josh is a noted expert for various media outlets, including CTV News and City TV. And as I mentioned, he is the only nutritionist that's really helped me to heal my gut. So I am so excited to share his wisdom with all of you today. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Josh. Welcome, Josh. I am so excited to have you on the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. I feel like this has been a long time coming and I'm so excited to chat today. I'm excited to be here. So I really don't think we need an introduction because I have known you for a long time now. I mean, we were talking about, I'm not sure the last time I actually saw you in person, but it was probably close to a decade ago. (laughs) Um, But I still love doing a fun little icebreaker um, with all of my guests. So what are you reading these days? I'm reading a book, Transcend. It's by Scott Barry Kaufman. And what it's about, it's just fascinating because if you ever seen the self-actualization pyramid by Abraham Maslow, that's kind of circulating everywhere. Um, Abraham Maslow did not mean it to be interpreted in that format. So this guy, Scott, um, wrote this book, Transcend. He's done a lot of research. He's read through his journals. He's, you know, kind of reviewed it with a, with a fine tooth comb. And, um, He's kind of come to the conclusions of what was trying to be communicated in terms of 
um, you know, kind of finding your purpose and, you know, living, living from a place of, of actual self-actualization and, and understanding that it's not this hierarchy that you kind of go up these rungs of the ladder, but it's, you can be at different rungs all the time. So it's just fascinating. I highly recommend it. That is so fascinating. I I love when we can kind of look back and look at where things might have been misinterpreted, especially because, you know, we have so much media now with social media and the internet and all these things that we didn't even have back then. And it was still misinterpreted. And so that sounds really fascinating. I love that. So we will put the the name and the author and all that in the show notes if my listeners want to check it out. But I am so excited, like I said, to have you on today. And we are going to, or you are actually going to be kicking off our much requested gut health series. Um, most of all, because you were the first nutritionist that I ever worked with that actually gave me a protocol that worked to heal my gut. Um, and I've kind of shared my gut health story with my listeners, my kind of journey. And, you know, I had had several doctors, nutritionists give me medications, recommendations, things like that. And, you know, to really no avail. <laughs> and it just kind of kept getting worse. Um, and so about a decade ago, when I came to see you uh, after the recommendation of this very smart lady, Megan Telpner, <laughs> um, who I, I found you through, um, you really helped me to heal my gut. And also, we also worked on hormone health as well. Um, but that's a whole, it's a whole other topic, though they are very much connected. We actually have a guest coming on to talk about the gut hormone connection um, in a couple of weeks. But I would love to just start by you sharing a little bit more about yourself. You have some incredible credentials and kind of how you got into the world of clinical nutrition. For sure. Well, I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner, and I uh, studied kinesiology in university, the University of Western Ontario, which has since been renamed Western. And from there, I didn't really want to go into any of the fields that you're kind of meant to go into from kinesiology. So I had worked in my fourth year on the football team as an athletic trainer, uh, taping up a lot of ankles, dealing with dislocated shoulders, a lot of bloody faces and everything. And it was fun. It was exciting, but that didn't interest me. I wasn't interested in medicine. I wasn't interested in, well, I was actually interested in all of it. And that was the problem. Everything kind of pigeonholed you into one specific area of focus. And I had this wide range of, of interest. And I wanted to find something that had all of that. And I knew it was out there. I just didn't know what it was called. So after university, I went to the mountains in Western Canada to play a little bit, do a lot of climbing and mountain biking and skiing. And after I did that for about a year, I, I decided I needed something more intellectually stimulating and came back home, became a personal trainer and helped people work out for a while, but realized people who were working out weren't as interested as in working in, in the inside of the body and in true health. And I still remember the last client that I saw with in the personal training world. And she was a very heavy smoker and would kind of come at the end of a work day to the gym to get her workout in because she knew exercise was important. And I spent a couple sessions talking about smoking with her and realized this isn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to really find where holistic health came from. I went to a conference. Uh, it was actually a, a fitness conference. And there I saw a speaker by the name of Paul Check. Some of your viewers might know his name. And he talked about nutrition from the dirt up, eating good food and starting with good soil. And it just blew my mind. 
And I knew I needed to study that. And I knew I wanted to do what he was doing someday to teach others about this information. And that's how I found nutrition school. And then I never turned back since then. I love that. And you've just continued to grow in your knowledge. And I I love everything that you share over on social media because you cover such a wide range of topics when it comes to nutrition and holistic health, because it truly is holistic. I know that in my journey, I, for a long time there was focused very much just on like the macronutrients and a little bit on the micronutrients when it came to nutrition. I was so sure that was like all we had to do as long as we made sure we had the right carbs, fat, and protein, then we were going to be healthy. And then, you know, my gut health was a mess. My hormones were a mess. Wasn't feeling really good. Um, and you know, at one point in my life, it was all about the fitness and I'm just going to, you know, run nonstop and I'm totally going to be healthy, right? Cause it's good for your heart, but it really is holistic. And I love that. I love that you bring that in. Um, and one of, one of the really important pieces to our overall health and something I don't, I definitely did not understand how much it really played into our health in so many different ways, everything from our immune system to our hormone balance to, you know, really everything in our bodies is stemmed from the health in our gut. Um, And so I've had so many listeners reach out wanting more and more about gut health here. So I had to bring you on and talk about this specifically, even though we could talk for hours and hours about all different aspects of holistic health. Um, But I really want to kind of just take it back. And I want to have you explain from a clinical perspective, how important is gut health or why is gut health so important? We wouldn't have you on talking about it if it wasn't important. And it honestly almost feels kind of like a buzz phrase these days, right? We hear about it because we we understand that it's important now. And I think a lot of people just go, yeah, yeah, I know I've got to take care of my gut. But why is it important? And why is it so crucial to our overall health? Well, most of us are born between six and nine pounds, let's say. And I can see just by looking at you right now, because we are doing this through video, that you're not that weight anymore. So you had to have created the rest of your body out of something, right? And the way we transition what nature has to offer us into our living human cells is through our digestive tract. That's how we break down these beautiful packages of of nutrition called food and turn it into our cells. And our cells are always turning over. Every cell turns over about every seven years. So we're really only seven years old. And, you know, the question I ask my clients a lot is like, what did you create those cells out of over the past seven years? But our digestive tract, you know, if we think about an apple, We take that apple, we chew it. We have one chance at mechanically breaking it down in their mouth. Chewing is very important, something I I speak about a lot with my clients. And then the rest is all chemical. It goes into the stomach. We got the release of hydrochloric acid and enzymes. It breaks it down even more. And then it goes into the small intestine, breaks it down to smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller particles until we can absorb that into the bloodstream. And then our body has this amazing ability to then transport those different nutrients from the food to the places where they're needed most in order to maintain function. I mean, it's just, it's a miracle of nature. Now through this whole digestive process, I sometimes refer to the digestive process as like one big factory with all these different little machines in it. We, there's so many different things interacting there 
that have to be working right. And when we live the right way, and when I say the right way, it's like this holistic way, it's mind, body, spirit, that system is going to work well. The cool thing about the human body is when we do the right things in our diet and lifestyle, it works well for us, right? And you mentioned certain ways of living that just didn't jive with how the human body is supposed to work. So, you know, with digestion, one of the most important things is actually what we're doing before we eat any food. This is called the cephalic phase of digestion. So what kind of state are we in? What are we seeing, hearing, smelling, you know? Um, this prepares the digestive tract for what is coming. And we start to release all sorts of digestive juices, enzymes, hydrochloric acid, and we start to turn on that digestive system in the anticipation of food. We're in kind of two states all the time. We're in this sympathetic nervous system state, which is go, 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 fight or flight, fright state. And we're, or we're in this parasympathetic mode, which is rest and digest, stop and think mode. And we can't be in both at the same time. So digestion is a function of this parasympathetic stop and think, rest and digest mode. And in order for us to actually turn on all those factories, you know, fire up all the cylinders, we have to be in that state. And when we're in that state, blood flow starts to increase, all of our digestive juices get secreted, and then we're properly able to digest and break down and absorb and assimilate these amazing packages that Mother Nature created called food. Oh my gosh. It's so fascinating. And I've heard you speak about this before. And so I, I understand a lot of this, but I think for many of the women who are listening, myself included, I'm thinking as moms, we're not busy at all. We're not go, go, go at all. We're not stressed out just by the daily, like, oh man, I forgot to make them their lunch or, oh my gosh, I've got to, it's time to go and get them to school. Or I've got to, you know, take this laundry out and then I've got to oh go do work at some point. We're constantly go, go, go. And mm -hmm. I don't know how many of us, myself included, I will say I try to take my specific time each day to have my meals, at least lunch and dinner, breakfast, I will admit is usually on the go, but that's just, that's because that's our season of life right now. I try to sit down and to at least have my meal, but oftentimes it's like running into the meal rather than actually taking that time. And we, I don't think we think about how much that affects our digestion and how much that could be affecting us overall with our health because of how impactful our digestion is. So it's so fascinating because yeah, I, the, the idea that we can't be in those two phases at once, it makes sense. But mm -hmm. I think many of us are just not, <laughs> just not there. And yeah. so I think what, that is one of the most simple things that we could start doing to improve our gut health, right? It's just trying to you know, find a way to get into, into that state of rest before we eat and before we allow our, so we can allow our, our digestive system to work properly and to really assimilate those nutrients from that food. So, so For sure. I think, you know, especially in the health world, most people are so focused on what to eat rather than how to eat. And that makes such a big difference. It's like, if you, again, if you're thinking of a factory, the what is like what's coming through that factory, but the how is how those workers are working the machines, how efficient those machines are. And we have this, this nerve that comes from the brain called the vagus nerve. 
the Ve- like, you know, Las Vegas, what stays in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but it's a little bit different for the vagus nerve because Vegas actually means the wandering nerve. It, it kind of comes out of the brain and then goes to all of our different internal organs. And that nerve only kind of turns on. It's like plugging in the wire when we're in that rested mode. And it is very hard to get into that mode when you're a busy parent. Yeah, you know, no doubt. So I'm always trying to assess, you know, what an individual's life situation is and how much wiggle room we have in that that life situation. One of the ways I describe this is, you know, if we have a bank account of health dollars and we want to be able to put more health dollars in that bank account than we spend on a on a regular basis. Once we get to zero, we're about to go into debt. And then once we're in the red, that's when symptoms happen. So, you know, we can kind of hover around five, $10, but it doesn't really give you much resilience. If you have a hundred health dollars, a thousand health dollars, a hundred thousand health dollars, you can eat on the go. Sometimes you can have that quick meal. You could throw back a smoothie, but if you're spending more on a regular basis than you're making in those health dollars, eventually you go into debt and you get symptoms. This is the law of mother nature. You cannot break the laws of mother nature. I can, you know, at 3 a.m. in the morning, I can roll through a stop sign. No one's going to stop me if they don't see me. That's the laws that people make. And you can break those if no one knows, right? And get away with it. When it comes to mother nature, she works in a very specific way and there's no cheating her. So eventually you're going to run into problems whether you like it or not. Mm, Oh, I love that bank account analogy because that that makes so much sense that we need to be putting in more than we're taking out. And I think any of us can understand that, right? If we take more out of our bank account than is in there, it's just not going to work out, right? We end up going into debt. And so I, I think so much of this is, I know that so much of this, these really crucial, important parts of our of what really goes into our health and wellness is missed in the the modern medical world. And this isn't, you know, this isn't just like your general practitioner. Sometimes this is, you know, the doctor that you go to for healing your gut health. And this is, you know, doctors are incredibly important and they play an incredibly important role in the medical world. So we're not downplaying doctors in the least bit. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of medical professionals that don't dig deep enough, I think, personally, and I think a lot of my listeners would agree who have had struggles with their health when it comes to things like gut health. And so I, or really, really any health issues, because a lot of it stems from the gut, right? Or arguably everything stems from the gut. So why do you think it is that so many healthcare practitioners don't dig deep enough? And from your perspective, where do you think we should start? If we are struggling with our health, if, especially if we're struggling with our gut health, since that's kind of where we're focusing on today, where do we start where a lot of medical professionals stop when it comes to needing to dig a little bit deeper? Great question. Well, I think they miss it a lot of the time because our healthcare system is more of a disease care system. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that in a factual way. As you said, it's very important that we have that system, but they're brilliant at stabilization and symptom control. I mean, that's what they're there for. If I'm in a car accident, take me to the nearest hospital. I mean, that's exactly where I want to be. 
But then afterwards, take me to the nearest nutritionist so they can dose me up on vitamin C to increase my collagen and speed up my healing. So they are really just looking for the symptoms and they're looking to treat those. I'll give you an example. I was just working with a client uh, last week and in her first protocol, one of the things that I gave her to take was ox bile. She had had her gallbladder out and therefore she was not getting the release of bile that's necessary to proper, properly emulsify fats when you eat a fatty meal. And she was having a variety of horrible digestive symptoms in part because of this. There was other things going on, but this was a big part of it. And in the follow-up protocol or in follow-up appointment, she said that this was like the greatest thing she has discovered in the past five years dealing with all these symptoms. And she was going to tell every one of her doctors. And she had told her gastroenterologist about bile. And he said, that sounds amazing. I'm going to look it up, which is actually a very enlightened reaction. It, it is a rarity to get that reaction. Usually they just say, okay, keep on doing it. But that's because his job was to identify a dysfunction and then to deal with that dysfunction. So they identified a problem with the gallbladder. They removed the gallbladder. Problem solved. His job is over. So the beautiful part about holistic nutrition and clinical nutrition, what I do, is that we can help people before that happens if they come early enough. And we can help afterwards as well. So the simple addition of this bile, right, which is going to help emulsify fats of her meal when she eats a fatty meal, is going to kind of do what the gallbladder should have done and restore some of the function to that digestive process. And that's now having a massive impact on her life. So I think it's because we have a misrepresentation of what a, a doctor, you know, conventional medicine is actually supposed to do to us or do for us. And this is one of the things that I educate my clients on quite a bit, because there's this disenchantment that happens when people think that a healthcare system should help them be healthy, which is really there to help us not die from disease. Okay. So once we can understand where, where that fits in the whole equation, we can move on from there and use it as we need to use it. Right. Um, where can people get started? Was that the second part of the question? How can they get started? Yeah. So if they are like, okay, my doctors aren't helping me, or maybe they help me with those short-term symptoms, but long-term it's not working. Where do we start with kind of digging a little bit deeper? Yeah. Well, I think we already mentioned one of the most important things. And I think the un most underrated, it's not sexy. You know, it's not a supplement. It's not a food. It's not a test, you, you know, or something cool you can do. It's just mindful eating right? Making sure that you have time to eat every meal. You're stopping, you're thinking, you're letting the cephalic phase come into effect, which releases a whole bunch of digestive juices. Chewing your food is a great way to make sure you're improving the digestion of it. It's your only chance at, at breaking it down mechanically. There was a practitioner a number of years ago by the name of Fletcher. And he, in he invented something called Fletcherizing, where he recommended his patients chew each bite a hundred times. Mm. Now that's really excessive because th there's a great book entitled Gulp. And in Gulp, she calculated that if you actually did what he recommended, 
you'd be chewing most of the day. You'd be finishing one meal and it'd be time for the next meal. So that's excessive. <laughs> but the idea is there that we should break down our food as much as possible through the chewing process, because then it's going to demand way less chemical digestion from our stomach, our pancreas, our small intestine, or our gallbladder, and put less strain on the body. Our digestive process takes up a huge amount of resources. So the more we can do with the food, the easier it's going to be on the digestive tract. So that's a great place to start. It's the mind and getting in the state of being able to eat. If we think back to, to cavemen and cave women, right? They, they, you know, they, they, they didn't have as many stressors as we had today. The, the, usually the men would go out and hunt. Um, they would bring back whatever they, they killed. Let's say they, they got a deer. Then the whole community would be around the fire. They'd be cleaning the animal. Everyone would be participating. You'd make a fire and eventually you'd cook it and it'd be time to eat. And that was a long process. That was a lot of time to get that cephalic phase into action. You'd probably start smelling the meat. And then afterwards, what do you do? You don't go right back to work again. You, you just chill out. You hang with the family. You hang with the tribe. Maybe you work on the shelter or something. And it allows that nervous system to kind of fire up in terms of allowing for proper digestion. Mm, yeah. Oh, it's so, it really is so powerful. And I know that actually sitting down and chewing my food <laughs> was a practice that was really, that was really difficult for me just because I am naturally really high energy. I'm naturally, I, I mean, I'm very much on the go, not so much in this phase of my life during the day I get to sit down a lot and, you know, or move around a lot, depending on if I'm recording podcasts or I'm recipe testing, but the mm -hmm. actual process of chewing my food was probably one of the most difficult things that I had to learn how to do because even being a child, I saw my parents, like you came home from work and it was the quickest dinner that they could make and get on the table. And then it was sit down and it was shovel your dinner down and then probably head right out to karate practice. Or maybe you would come home from whatever activity that myself or my sister was doing. And then we'd shovel down our food and then it was going to be bedtime. And it was, that was kind of what I grew up knowing. And, you know, lunchtime at school, I remember was not very long. I want to say it was like 20 minutes or so out of the day. And so I think many of us are taught to not actually take that time to rest and to allow ourselves that time for digestion. And uh, something that I learned, you know, I've I've gone back and forth on being really good about taking that time, like I mentioned, to really, you know, eat my food more mindfully. But one of the things that I have been trying to practice the last couple of years, which seems totally crazy to a lot of people. I'm sure it won't sound crazy to you, but I'm a huge fan of smoothies in the morning just because my two kids schedules, we live a half an hour away from my little uh, preschool. It is way worth it because her preschool is incredible, but it takes a little while to get there. And then my older daughter also has to go to school. So smoothies are my number one breakfast just because it's easy to take with me on the go. Something I've been doing for the last couple of years is actually taking the time to chew my smoothie even though there's nothing to chew, it's <laughs> trying to take it in and just like have a couple bites of my smoothie instead of sucking it all down, which would be really easy to do. And when I'm not paying attention, I do still do sometimes, <laughs> but it really does. I notice a difference in my digestion afterwards and not feeling like sometimes if I do suck my smoothie down, I will feel bloated. And I'm sure some of that is from the, you know, the air coming in when I'm sucking it down because I use a metal straw or, and, you know, it's, I'm sure it's also that I just took in a whole bunch of food 
all at once and my body was not ready for and did not recognize that I took in all that food because I ate it so fast. So it is, it's so interesting, just, you know, personal anecdote <laughs> for how oh, that's for been sure. really helpful for me. Um, but yeah, even, even those little things I think are, are just so important. Mm. Well, we can use, you know, certain ways of eating food to our advantage. So I love smoothies because basically that takes a massive amount of digestion out of the equation. Mm-hmm. But as you said, you still have to think about the chewing of it. So, you know, putting all that stuff in the blender is doing a lot of what your digestive process would have to take care of, but still we need to turn on the nervous system to be able to assimilate that smoothie. And there's actually some interesting research, um, into how chewing actually helps with brain development. Mm. So, you know, it helps to, it helps with development of the hippocampus and other parts of the brain. So it's really an important part of the whole nervous system. I've actually worked with a few people where they kind of got themselves into a pickle where they had such disrupted digestion and so many symptoms associated with it that they started to have smoothies and soups and more and more until their whole diet became liquid because that was really the only way to cope. And then they started their nervous system kind of lost the training that it needed in order to turn on that digestive process. So one of the things we had to start working on was actually having some of the liquid meals that they're having in food form and beginning to chew and retrain that system. But like anything, when used in the right way and not in excess, it, it can be wonderful. And I think smoothies are a really, really great way to pack a ton of nutrition into one meal and be able to get that in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Especially for the busy moms listening who just are probably Absolutely. not going to be eating a whole bunch of vegetables for breakfast. If they've got to be on the go, we can we can get in <laughs> some high quality nutrient dense foods um, that way too, which is which is awesome. So I would love to know where you recommend. So maybe some important questions or tests. I know that, you know, as a clinician, you do a lot of testing yourself, but what you would recommend to the listener who might be struggling or who is likely struggling if they're listening to this with gut health, um, what would you recommend they bring to their clinician, to their doctor, maybe to their nutritionist to start to dive into the into more of the root of gut health issues. They might be sitting there and sharing about their lifestyle. Hopefully if they're with you, you know, if, if they're, their clinicians, anything like you, hopefully they do dive into lifestyle first. Um, but if they are struggling with gut health, where do you see a lot of healthcare practitioners fall short? Where do you think that they should, what kind of tests or, or questions should they ask to start out? Interestingly enough, I think one of the biggest traps that a lot of more holistic practitioners get into is too much testing, Mm. uh, where someone comes to them and they're like, okay, we're going to do these functional, you know, medicine tests, you know, we're going to do stool analysis, hormone tests and all this stuff. And then they don't really know what to do with that. I mean, if you recall when we were working together 10 years ago, I didn't have access to any of these tests. Mm. And one of the most valuable tools that I've always stuck by from day one is symptomatology. And our body speaks a language, just like I'm speaking English to you right now, and you understand me and you can interpret it. The body speaks the language of symptom. The problem is we've kind of lost touch with how to interpret that language and how to understand that language. And that's why I do what I do. And I teach others to understand symptomatology, but the symptoms 
can give such an amazing story and give you almost all of the answers. And that's where, you know, getting a good history and asking a lot of questions is important. So one of my pieces of advice, if it's someone, you know, enrolls with some sort of alternative healthcare practitioner, and they just want to do testing right off the bat without asking any questions, that's a big red flag because especially with digestion, because digestion, the digestive system is such a, um, it gives you so much feedback in terms of system uh, symptoms, and you can really learn a lot just by understanding what those mean. Now, above and beyond that, there are definitely situations where we run into a dead end or we haven't made as much progress as we'd like. So from the symptoms, we learn this, we, you know, and do a certain protocol and maybe we've improved things 50%, but they've reached a plateau. At that point, there's other testing that we can do. Uh, there's one that I really like called the GI map, which is a really comprehensive stool analysis where we look at good bacteria, bad bacteria, pathogens, yeast organisms, parasites, worms, and a whole bunch of different digestive markers that indicate how the immune response is, how many enzymes you're making, um, and you know if you have a leaky gut. And it gives us a really good picture as to what's going on in the digestive tract above and beyond what we might learn from the symptoms. So to contrast that kind of with conventional medicine, and if you had really severe digestive system, uh, digestive issues in your digestive system, one of the things they might do is a stool test. And when they do a stool test, they're really just looking for some of the biggies. They're looking for the big parasites and those parasites have to be alive when they look at it. And some of them live higher up and are dead by the time they get to your stool. Um, and if you don't have that, they just kind of brush it off. Maybe they look for blood in the stool. But with the functional lab tests, we're looking not for disease, but we're looking for dysfunction. We're looking for imbalance. So, you know, a gastroenterologist wouldn't really know what to do with a result that showed that there was very low numbers of all the commensal bacteria, the good guys that live in our gut. They'd be like, okay, you know, what does that mean? But as a, you know, a functional medicine practitioner and other professionals that understand this, we know that we need to have lots of the good guys. We need to have them in high numbers and we have to have a lot of different ones. That's a robust environment. That's a really healthy ecosystem. And that can give us a lot of information as to what's happening in the gut. So kind of, you know, step one is the symptoms. We can learn a lot from that. And then if we reach a dead end or a plateau, then we move to some of the testing. Mm, yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I second that, you know, sometimes doing testing right away isn't always going to produce the results we want. I know that when I went to my gastroenterologist years ago, before I saw you, um, and it was really, really struggling with some really scary symptoms. Um, and so at the time I was living in Canada, but I hadn't, uh, I hadn't like officially immigrated yet. I was in that process because my husband's Canadian. Most of my listeners know that. Um, and so I had to go home to go see my, my gastroenterologist. And so I remember going home and spending an entire weekend getting all of these tests done. 
And, you know, I got the endoscopy and the colonoscopy and everything. And I remember feeling like super woozy and drinking the apple juice that they gave me afterwards. My dad was sitting with me and the gastroenterologist comes up and sits next to me and, you know, tell like asks me how culinary school was going. And I'm like, I told you about that because I was out and that's the only time I've ever been put under. Um, and it was very, very odd. And I was, he, I was, he's like, so I have your results. And I'm like, okay, I'm like ready for him to give me some sort of diagnosis that I can go off of. And he's like, you look very inflamed. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I've been having all of these symptoms. I understand I'm inflamed. He's like, yep, looks like upper digestive tract, lower digestive tract. You're very inflamed. I'm like, okay, what can we do from there? He's like, well, there's not really much we can do. There's this medication we can try. I was like, okay, all right. Well, we've already tried one medication. I had some acid reflux medication that I was able to come off of working with you. Um, but that was, that was the only real recommendation he had for me. And I was like, I, I am not feeling okay. Then we need to, we need to dig deeper. Um, and you know, working with you over several months, I was able to really, you know, at least in my symptoms almost immediately, just changing some of the things that I ate and some very light supplementation went away. And so, I mean, I'm, so much, I think so much of it was really just going, okay, here are my symptoms. And the doctor just going, all right, well, we got to get in there and see what's going on. And him basically telling me what, what was obvious. So yeah, I really like that. You really make sure to, you know, have your patients explain, these are the symptoms that I have and start from there. And then if we need to, we go a little bit deeper with that testing. So so I would love to go a little bit more into the practical side of things. And so, like I mentioned before, we officially started recording. I'm going to go a little bit general here. Um, and so I understand that um, everything is incredibly individualized to the to the patient that you're working with. Um, so we're just going to kind of go with some general gut health. And I understand that a lot of this is very individualized. But what do you think, I think first and foremost, what do you see being some of the biggest mistakes that people are making when it comes to maintaining or healing, but really maintaining their um, really good gut health, I guess? Mm -hmm. Well, in functional nutrition, we, we always think about two things. We think about what do we need to take out and what do we need to put in? Okay. That helps to simplify it a lot. So when we think about what we need to take out, I like to think about what I call the sliver. If I step on a piece of wood and get a sliver in my foot, there's a few ways to deal with that. I can put a bandaid on and just kind of ignore it. I could take painkillers to numb the pain, but no matter what I do, that sliver has to come out before the healing happens. And if I want that pain to come out, come go away. So we have to kind of figure out what the slivers are in our life. And we've talked a lot about the mental aspect, but then we have to also think about what foods we're putting in our body that doesn't really work with these amazing machines called the human body. And, you know, the obvious ones are the frankenfoods, you know, the foods that are, aren't really food. You know, Michael Pollan came up with that term frankenfoods, which I love, but these processed, highly extra ultra processed foods that have no resemblance to what they originally were in nature. And if you think about it, you have to like turn that into your cells, you know, to be made into a new you in the next seven years. I mean, the, the metabolic cost of that is so beyond that you're definitely taking out more health dollars than you're putting in. Right. So we have to think about what's going in our body. It has to be whole foods, it has to be the least processed possible. 
and it has to be, you know, loaded with all the nutrients and unrefined. So that's kind of step one. Then if we want to get a little bit more picky, uh, there are certain foods that the majority of people have issues with. I'm not going to say everyone, but the majority and the biggest one is gluten. So we know that gluten, and we, you know, I could talk for hours about gluten, and I know we're not going to get into that today, but gluten, uh, what it does is it can cause a leakiness in the gut. And for some people, this can be a transient effect where between the, t- the one time they have gluten and maybe the next time they have it, the gut is able to heal. There's no snowballing effect of that negative effect, and they're fine, and they, they have no issues with it. But for a large percentage of the population, they have certain genetic susceptibilities that snowball this effect and create more and more issues. Obviously, the worst of the worst on the spectrum is celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease where you have destruction of the the small intestinal lining. But there's a very broad part of that spectrum called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which we're studying, which we've learned quite a bit, a lot of quite a bit about, but we still need to learn a lot more. Uh, and that's when people are going to have physical manifestations of issues from gluten, but not be full on celiac. Many people are going to react negatively to it. So, you know, I think pretty much everyone should avoid it when in, in my practice, someone can't see me unless they're avoiding gluten, dairy, and sugar for at least a month. So the other two are dairy. Um, dairy has, again, is a lot of people are sensitive to it. And again, you know, I don't think again we have so much time to go into it, but there's good dairy, there's bad dairy, there's dairy we've eaten for hundreds and hundreds of years. And then there's, you know, skim milk dairy, which is basically just a Franken food. Um, so there's going to be big differences, but most people are sensitive to that. And there's also cross reactivity with, with gluten and dairy, where in the body, the dairy looks like gluten. And then sugar is a, is a huge one. So we used to maybe, you know, a hundred years ago, consume maybe 20, 30, 30 pounds of sugar per year. Now, most people are consuming their own body weight in sugar, 150 pounds per year. So it's just astounding. And that is a highly refined food. It takes way more health dollars out of the body than it puts in that health account. It disrupts the whole microbiome because it's like a party for all the bad bacteria. They love to eat that stuff. When it comes in, they, they get very excited and start to procreate and create serious imbalance. Um, and it, uh, it's just, it it really messes with blood sugar, which has a whole bunch of residual effects on our hormones, on our brain, on every system in the body. So those three, if we're talking about biggest bang for your buck, you know, for the general audience, I would take those three out at least for a month to, to give it a trial and see how you feel. And then we need to dive into a lot more specific eliminations if we're talking about dealing with specific issues, like one group of foods that I think has grown in popularity in terms of being helpful to avoid are the FODMAPs, which um, can cause IBS in certain people. And the FODMAPs are a group of uh, carbohydrates, uh, fructo, oligo, dye, and polyols. That's what FODMAP stands for. Uh, that can cause fermentation in the gut and then cause gas and bloating and all sorts of issues associated with IBS. So uh, low FODMAP diets can be helpful. And also 
the nice thing about low FODMAP diets is that there's also been spillover and it's been shown to be helpful in inflammatory bowel diseases as well. Um, so then we get more specific. Okay. So that's the elimination that's getting the sliver out. Then what do you want to add in? You want to add in those good foods, right? Those nice whole foods. I mean, you do so many incredible videos and recipes and all these amazing resources to help people to get to eat healthier and enjoy it. Can you believe that? <laughs> that you can enjoy eating healthy? Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, just getting nutrient density in. Um, and I think, um, I think that would kind of sum it up in a more general level. Mm, oh my gosh. So much goodness there. I'm nodding along. I keep muting myself because for some reason, my computer sounds like it's about to blast off. Not sure what's happening over here, <laughs> but I promise I'm nodding along going, yes. So what's so interesting to me is um, I know that when you and I first worked together years and years ago, the dairy is dairy has always been something that has been really rough on my gut. And so that's been something that I've you know taken out back and forth, very, um, you know, for periods of time for my entire life. Like since I was 10 or 11 years old, that was the first thing that doctors identified. They're like, mm, I think you're lactose intolerant. And so I took that out for a number of years. So that wasn't, a, that wasn't really hard, but gluten was one of those things that really scared me as a chef going like it's used in so many different foods. But once I was able to actually take that out and find replacements for it, which look like 10 years ago was so much harder than it is now. It's so easy to eat gluten-free now. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's, it, we make it seem harder than it is. I know that I have my, my sister's been gluten-free for years and years. Um, after she saw me go gluten-free, she realized that all these gut issues she had that might help her. And that's one of the number one things that has helped her. She has a friend who just went gluten-free and the friend is like constantly texting her. She was telling me about this the other day. She's also my cooking class assistant when I do cooking classes. This friend is like constantly texting her with like screen, um, screenshots and pictures of this product or that product or like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And my sister was like, and I was so proud of her. She was like, do you know like broccoli is gluten-free? <laughs> most like most real whole foods out there are gluten-free. It's so much easier to eat gluten-free when you are eating lots of real whole foods. And what's really interesting is kind of at the at my point in my gut healing journey, I can eat gluten from time to time and I'm totally fine. This is after a lot of healing and a lot of years of gluten-free. And I don't even, we, I think we have, we have sprouted grain bread here for the kids. And we'll do, you know, the occasional sprouted grain tortilla or brown rice tortilla. Well, I think that's gluten-free um, <laughs> here in our house um, for the kids. But we just naturally pick up those gluten-free items now. Once we learned how much better it made us feel overall, uh, myself and the, and the kids included, and the kids thankfully have, as far as we can tell, good gut health. But once you kind of move towards eating more of those real whole foods a lot easier and less intimidating than it seems. And the same thing with sugar. Once you just start transitioning to eating more of those natural forms of sweeteners, if you do want those sweet treats, you can make them at home. Like, oh my gosh, my kids are so funny. Whenever they go to birthday parties, I, we let them have the birthday cake because they're not eating birthday cake every day. They'll go and they'll have the birthday cake and they'll take two bites and be like, this is too sweet. 
And I'm like, yeah, because we just don't eat those type of things. And I think the more that we just incorporate those things and we find those delicious alternatives, it becomes so much easier. And I think it really can be intimidating. And I I love that you kind of outlined, this is why, (laughs) this is why. And I knew that you would be the guy to explain this is why. (laughs) This Mm -hmm. is why we need to take these things out and see how we feel. And then we can maybe dig deeper. Then maybe we reduce FODMAPs. We actually had... um, a nutritionist on the podcast last year talking specifically about FODMAPs for IBS because I had a question about it. And I was like, well, let's bring an expert on here and how, you know, the research on those has been really helpful for IBS and IBD. So yeah, I think that it it, it can feel really intimidating to, re- to remove those items. But once you just really focus on lots of those real whole foods and you kind of find those alternatives, it's it's a lot easier. So yeah. Well, I, I tell my clients that if they have the feeling that it's overwhelming, That's great because it means there's a lot you haven't tried, Mm -hmm. right? And there's still so many things you can do that is going to take you out of your comfort zone, that is going to take you out of what you're doing today that can maybe change the, the environment of your body because more of the same plus more of the same equals more of the same. People don't come to me to be told to continue doing what they're doing. They're coming to me. for me to nitpick and figure out, hey, we need to change this. We need to try this. We need to take this out. And by doing all those things, we're going to change the ecosystem of your body and move your body closer to what mother nature is supposed to be because your body is just an extension of nature. Mm -hmm. It's got a certain set of rules. And that's what I've learned over the past almost 15 years now is how to figure out when someone isn't following those rules and then get them closer to following the rules of mother nature. And that's what it's all about. I mean, that's what health is all about. It's just getting closer to that. You know, there's this industry of biohacking, which I'm sure you've heard of and and is out there, right? What is biohacking? Biohacking is just trying to deal with the modern world and get us closer to the way we lived many, many years ago, right? Like, you know, one of the biohacks out there is wearing blue blockers, right, at night. Well, how did we used to live? You know, you know, before there was electricity, we would be outside and the sun would go down. And mm-hmm. as the sun was going down, it would turn more orange from, from you know, the, 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 the other spectrums. And it would slowly put us into our, our nighttime part of our circadian rhythm. Melatonin would get released. We would sleep and then we would wake up with the sun. Mm-hmm. So these, all these, what we call biohacking is really just trying to get us back to the way we were supposed to be living hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think that is one of those things we get so mixed up with in the health world is we try to overcomplicate things too much. And we're trying all of these things before we try, you know, we try all of the supplements, we try the diets, we try all of these things before we just get back to the basics. And, and what's so interesting to me, and I don't know why I find this endlessly fascinating because it works every time. Anytime I got health feels a bit off these days, I know exactly what to do to get it back on track. It's usually because I've been too busy 
and I'm too stressed out. And I, I recognize that. And I'm like, mm, I need to slow down. I need to take some things off my calendar. I need to allow more time for rest. And that's hard for me. Like I mentioned, as someone who is very ambitious, very go, go, go. Yesterday afternoon, I hid my phone from myself and was like, you're going to go sit on the couch and read for a couple hours. The kids were playing. They were happy. I'm like, I have to do that sometimes. I know that, you know, it's usually because I'm stressed out or I have been eating more gluten than normal, which is, you know, I may eat gluten once a week these days. And, you know, it's like, it's the holidays. So it'll be a couple times a week. And I'm like, why am I feeling kind of bloated? Well, it's probably because I've been eating more, more gluten, more dairy, more sugar than I normally am. And it's so simple now to just take a step back and go, okay, I see what's happening here and be able to take those out for a while and, or even more than a while, because once I take them out again, it just feels like I kind of fall back into that rhythm of, oh, I'm feeling good. And so I just kind of continue along that way. It sounds, you know, like it wouldn't be so simple, but it is after so many years of knowing that this is what feels good. Once we can get to that point of this is our, like our baseline is feeling good. We don't want to not feel good anymore. And so then we know what to do to kind of back to, to get back to that place of feeling good. So I love that, Kristen. It's like, it's just the course correcting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the word diet comes from the word dieta, which means a way of life. It actually, Mm -hmm. like the the food part is just such a small part of it. And when you know what, what you have to do to be healthy, yeah, you fall off a little bit and then you course correct and come back on. It's like, you know, as I said, there's the laws of mother nature. If you think about a bicycle, there's laws that govern that bicycle. The chain has to have good lubrication. The gears have to be working properly. The wheels have to be blown up. They have to be trued or else that bike does not work properly. (laughs) So when you're wobbly or you're going too slow or there's a crickety noise or something like that, you look at the bike and you're like, hmm, how can we course correct? We do that and then we learn how it works and we fix it. And, you know, we saw each other 10 years ago and you haven't come back, which is my goal. I don't want to ever see my clients again, but I've had clients that call me, you know, three, four years after I finished with them and they say, you know, these symptoms have come back. And I look back at their protocol and I said, well, have you tried doing our protocol that we did four years ago? And they said, no, I'm like, do that. And then they're paying me for my time for just telling them to do what they already were told to do four (laughs) years ago. And they get better again because they're going back down the same path and success leaves clues. So when we have a success and something works, we know we're moving in the right direction. I often talk about this thing called the slope of health. Did I show you the slope of health back then? I think so. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I put it in every single protocol Mm -hmm. and teach it to all of my students. And there's nothing stagnant that we do. There's... There's no food we eat. There's no drink we drink. There's no relationship we have. There's no activity that we do that is just neutral. Everything is moving us either towards health or away from health. So if we have enough things moving us away from health, we go down the slope of health. And when we have enough things moving us towards health, we start to go up the slope of health. And that's the most important thing. And that's what I speak about with my clients because sometimes, you know, I see people that are quite sick. It feels like they're doing all these different things to improve their health and they're not getting anywhere, but it takes time to build health. It takes time to move up that slope of health and actually make changes in our body. 
Mm, yeah, I think that's a really good point too, that it, it does take time, right? For for me now, just taking those things out a week later and I'm my body's feeling back to normal. But that's because I worked so hard on my gut health for so many years. And it's just sort of that course correction. Like you said, it does take time and it to actually especially if you have been not treating your body in the way that it wants to be for so many years, if you've had these gut health issues or hormonal imbalances or whatever it might be, this inflammation issue, whatever it might be for a number of years, it's going to take time and intention to get to a place that feels really good. And so I think we all want the quick fix, but the quick fixes never last. (laughs) And so really being able to be understanding that it's probably going to take some time, but it's so worth it in the end is, is so important. For sure. So I would love to get even more practical with you a little bit here um, because we love the practical steps for our busy moms. So I would love for you and your family, what are some of those day-to-day maybe foods that you love to put on your plate, like really specific? We know that we want to try, we want to take out the gluten and the dairy and the sugar as much as possible. But what are those things, those foods that you love to have on hand? Um, And maybe I know this is a very general question um, because, sorry, this is a very individualized question. So asking a general question is kind of difficult, but maybe supplements that you would recommend overall for the woman who's listening to just kind of improve her overall health. So what are those things to put on your plate? Maybe those supplements where you're like, yep, these are, these are the ones you've got to have. Let's start with the supplements first, because I know everyone wants to hear those. And just in case you're about to press pause or leave this podcast already this far in, let's keep your attention going. (laughs) So I think one of the most important supplements for everyone, almost everyone on the planet, because I never really do say everyone, um, is vitamin D. Uh, If anyone wants to learn a lot more information on vitamin D, they can go to vitamindhub.com which is a website my wife and I created. We were, you know, about a year ago, actually, we were giving away free vitamin D on the street to try to bring more awareness to it. And vitamin D is just something most people can't get enough of, you know, uh, you know, winter's coming here Well, winter's here in, in Toronto right now. And, you know, the sun is like, as you can see, the light in my room right now is just pouring in because the sun is so low. Mm-hmm. So when we, you know, if I go outside and my shadow is longer than my body, it means that I'm not going to be making much vitamin D. You know, when you're closer to the equator and your shadow is like half the size of your body, you're going to be making a ton of vitamin D. But most of us don't get enough of that. And it modulates the whole immune system. It's important for mental health. It's important for our hormones. It's actually more like a hormone. Um, and it does so many important things. So we need to make sure that we're getting our blood levels in the optimal range. So I'm not a fan of just saying everyone take vitamin D. We got to guess. I mean, we, sorry, we got to check, not guess. Mm-hmm. Our test, not guess is, is the, the rhyme that we use. Uh, it's very inexpensive test that you can get pretty much anywhere in the world and make sure you're in the optimal range um, rather than the, I'm doing quotes, no one can see it, but the normal range. And that's a, a vitamin most people can benefit from. The other would be a good like uh, omega-3 fish oil that is properly prepared to make sure that all the contaminants are taken out because that's another nutrient most people don't get enough of. There's been some fascinating research uh, showing how when our omega-3 index um, or omega index is higher, meaning we have more omega-3s in our cell membranes, we have 
actually lower all-cause mortality. That means dying from everything, right? And actually in Japan, where they get way more of these omega-3s, they live on average five years longer. I don't know if that's for sure a cause and effect, but it's one of the aspects. Um, and they typically have a much higher omega index. So omega-3 can be really important. It's especially important. I know a lot of your listeners are mothers and some fathers. Uh, it's critical for the brain development of our children. So they've done tests where they look at the DHA content. That's one of the long omega-3s of breast milk when a baby is born to a breastfeeding baby. And then they measure um, certain cognitive um, items when they're eight years old. And the ones that have higher DHA levels have much higher IQ scores and cognitive uh, scores on these tests at eight years old. Wow. So it's, it's just fascinating. It's so important for the brain. DHA is the most abundant omega-3 in the brain. It's where most of the DHA in the body lives. So it's critical for that as well for baby and mother. And if the mother isn't getting enough, the baby will take all of it, right? Whatever's there, it'll just strip the mother of it. And then um, mothers get baby brain, right? You know, they, their memory isn't as good. There's postpartum depression. They just, you know, they can't recover as well. And that's because they don't have the physical infrastructure to actually support their cognitive processes. You know, we often think about protein being important for muscle, right? And especially in the fitness industry, right? You're growing muscle, you need your protein. But when it comes to the brain and the nervous system, we don't talk about the raw ingredients for that part of the body. But if you don't have them, they're not going to work. And this is actually one of the things I teach in my mental health and neurology course of what are those nutrients? What are the ingredients necessary for proper cognition? Mm -hmm. um, you know, another study uh, I was recently just looking at showed that when, when you have higher omega-3s, there's actually, there's less accidents that people have. Mm. That's one of the measures, like accidents for more omega-3. And <laughs> maybe, you know, I don't know if they came to this conclusion in the study, but maybe that has to do with just being better cognitively, right? So, so these are good. So those two supplements, uh, vitamin D and uh, omega-3, I think pretty much every person can benefit from. Mm, oh, I love that. So important. Those are two that we have kept our kids on, started them on and kept them on since they were really, really young. Um, and, you know, it's funny because when my daughter was really young, we would give her a liquid, um, a liquid omega-3 supplement that tasted like strawberries. And it didn't really have any like sweetness to it or anything like that, but it tasted like strawberries. And we used to put it in a little bit of milk um, for her. And when she was like really, really young and she used to call it strawberry milk. Um, and she'll still talk to us about it. We used to give it to her before bed. And that was her like bedtime. It was just like a little tiny little yeah. bit. And she, she's like, do you remember when you used to give me strawberry milk? I'm like, yes, you're still getting strawberry milk, but it's just now you can take this <laughs> tiny little capsule now. Uh, that's my eight-year-old. So yeah, no, I love that. So, so important. So what about for you and your family in terms of foods? So what are some like actual foods you're like, put these on your plate. These are going to help you with your gut health. I know that's a, another very general question, but there's got to yeah. be, I know you've got to have some good answers. <laughs> so we're talking specifically gut health. Well, yeah. I mean, you can, we can do gut health or overall health. Yeah. I mean, you know, if we're looking specifically at gut health, I think fermented foods are fantastic. You know, sauerkraut, kimchi, um, what, actually the first thing we gave our son was sauerkraut juice. 
And mm-hmm. we have a little video of him tasting it, which is pretty funny. But, you know, if anyone's ever made sauerkraut, have you ever given a sauerkraut demo on your Instagram? I haven't. I should, though, okay. because that is something I make regularly. But we make so much of it that it mm-hmm. lasts us a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the beauty of it. And it's how inexpensive is a cabbage? I yeah. mean, look, look how much food you're getting. But if anyone's ever made sauerkraut, they know you're not adding any microbes to it. You're not adding probiotic or bacteria. So where are those coming from? They're coming from the plant itself, from the earth, from where it was growing. And those are called first generation uh, microorganisms. And they're really effective at living and improving the microbiome living in our gut. Uh, those are the ones that we've lived symbiotically with for, for so many years. So they're really amazing for digestion Those uh, on those naturally fermented foods. And then all fruits and vegetables. I know that's kind of like a, a kitchen sink answer, but any fruit and vegetable is going to have some level of prebiotic in it. Uh, which is soluble fiber that feeds the good guys in our gut. And, you know, there's, there's, a, I think a paradigm shift happening where we used to think that food was good because it provided us with what we needed, but the, it, we can think about it in a bit of a different way where food's actually providing our microbiome with what mm-hmm. it needs. And then that microbiome works for us. Like, our bacteria in our gut make some B vitamins. They make vitamin K. They make short chain fatty acids, which help with gut healing and give our gut cells energy. So when we have lots of fruit and vegetables in the mix, we're giving the substrate for those to grow and, and live in a robust environment. There are definitely foods that have higher amounts of these prebiotics, like plantain, like onions, like Jerusalem artichoke, um, like white potatoes that have been cooked and then cooled. That's maybe a discussion for another day, but it creates something called resistant starch. And these can be really helpful for building a really strong microbiome. Mm, I love that. Just more reason to eat more vegetables and I can help you make them delicious because they really should be delicious <laughs> too. <laughs> they should we had be. some uh, friends over for dinner on Saturday night and we made, I made a mistake. I made a big mistake where I'm only made one tray of roasted broccoli. And I forgot that my kids will eat an entire tray of roasted mm. broccoli themselves. Like my husband and I have to take our portion first. So we actually get some of the broccoli because my oven's just not big enough to make as much broccoli as my kids would eat. And, you know, they don't, aren't a huge fan of raw broccoli, but if you roast that broccoli up, my kids will literally eat an entire tray of roasted broccoli. So it's all about finding those delicious ways to cook it and then, and getting more of that in. So I love that. Let let me ask you a question because there's, there's one vegetable that's always kind of been a challenge for Megan and I, and that's Swiss chard. So mm. we, we kind of have it in rotation, but it's not something we really enjoy. And I've tried so many different combinations. Do you have any good tips on Swiss chard? I mean, we juice it sometimes, which is a good way, but we had it yeah. last night. I, I put the, it wasn't great. You know, honestly, it's not my favorite either. I usually yeah. go for kale more, but I try to rotate in. Right. So, but I cook it very similar to, to kale. The kids, I, I, I will admit they don't love it. They do love kale. They love mm-hmm. kale, but they just don't love the texture of it. I think. Um, so I like to, I like to saute it with some avocado oil, um, mm-hmm. so that it gets a little bit crispy. A little bit of lemon juice will take down some of that like very robust flavor, which I know is one of the good things about it. It's a bitter green, Mm -hmm. Um, but a little bit of lemon juice helps with that and a little bit of lemon zest. And then I do some garlic in there too. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I add some garlic in there and that's really what I do. And there's not, 
I don't think there's any other way that I found that I like really, really love. Something that I love to jazz up any sort of green is a lightly toasted nut. So like finely chopped, lightly toasted nut that you and finely chopped. So almost like a so I'm thinking of a salad, almost like a crouton type. So it mm-hmm. adds a little bit of texture to it. So I'll do that. So I'll lightly toast walnuts. Um, walnuts actually go well with Swiss chard or even pine nuts um, mm. or pecans very lightly. Um, and even sometimes a little bit of salt, especially if you toast them in a dry pan, some of those natural oils start to release. Um, and if you sprinkle that on top of the greens, it almost feels like you're having something with like some croutons on top. So there are different Italian recipes where they'll do their sauteed greens with like some um, breadcrumbs on top. So some pan, um, not pan fried, but um, pan toasted breadcrumbs. And this is kind of the same concept, but with some nuts on top. So that's something that we'll do. But Swiss chard's a hard one. So are collard greens. They can be kind of hard too. <laughs> they are. Yeah. I think one of the uses we like for collards is to use them as a wrap. Mm, so yes, if, you, if yeah. you take the collards and you blanch them a little yes. bit and you take the spine out, you can kind of use it as like a, as a wrap. Yeah. And just kind of stuff anything you want in there. Yeah, actually, you know what? Funny enough, um, way back when I was doing the culinary nutrition program with your wife, Megan, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I did my final project on pregnancy nutrition, which was funny because that was years before I was pregnant with my daughter and my oldest daughter. And so I did um, like, oh my gosh, I'm losing the name now. Like little rice grape leaves. I made grape leaves, except without grape Mm. leaves because they're sometimes hard to find. Stanacopita? No, they were like, they're like stuffed grape leaves. So I did some sort of like a rice, like a dill herbed rice, a lemony dill herbed rice. And I used the colored as the wrap instead of grape leaves. And that was like the first time I had ever used them like that. Mm -hmm. I had had them raw before as kind of like a sandwich wrap, which I still love. Mm -hmm. Um, My kids don't like them raw, but that's okay. Not right now. Maybe they will in the future. (laughs) But that's, that was actually what I use them as for my final projects. And it's been a while since I've made them, but I've continued to make them since, which is really fun. I'm not sure why those related to pregnancy nutrition, other than greens being good for you. There was a reason. I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe, maybe the high in calcium, but you, you know, you mentioned an interesting thing about kids as well is that they're, you know, kids can be selective at times. So, you Mm -hmm. know, that's been a really interesting learning experience for, for myself and my wife, who are both nutritionists is our son can like one thing at one time and then not like it another time. And even from day to day, week to week, month to month, and just not like certain foods for a very long time as well. So the, the idea behind that is, you know, we don't just say, Oh, you, you don't like dinner today. Okay. I'll make you some macaroni and cheese. You have that. So we can get something in, you No, that's never an option. It's like, mm-hmm. here's healthy option. A here's healthy option. B here's healthy option. C, mm-hmm. um, you just, your job is to put in front of them the healthiest options possible. And even more of late, uh, is if he doesn't like dinner, he doesn't get dinner. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, it just doesn't happen. He's not going to starve. He's not going to, you know, there's, (laughs) there's not going to be any life-threatening issues from this. (laughs) And most of the time he'll come back and at least try some stuff and and eat a lot more. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's actually funny that you mentioned that. I was going to mention that my, my youngest is much more selective than my older daughter, which was kind of a shock because we're very grateful that our oldest daughter has always been a pretty adventurous eater. There are very few mm. things that she, she'll try everything. There's very few things that she doesn't enjoy. Um, and even then, because she eats so many really great foods, I'm like, I, it's fine. There's a couple things you don't like. It's not a big deal. 
but she continues to try things. Our youngest daughter is much more selective. And it's not like she saw it from any of us, but it's just something naturally she's more selective. And so we we do the same thing. We're like, you can either have this or this. And the other night she didn't want anything. And we're like, okay, that's fine. If you don't, you're not going to die from one night of not eating. And she woke up the next morning and was so hungry for breakfast. <laughs> and she had basically three breakfasts. And kids mm-hmm. self-regulate like that, right? I think it is our job as parents just to give them the foods, the good foods, and then, you know, let them let them choose. And if they want to choose to not have dinner, then they're gonna be okay. <laughs> They'll make yeah. up for it later. There was a fascinating study that was done in the 1930s, I believe it was. Um, I did write a blog on it. Uh, if you type in Josh Catalis and Palette in Google, you'll probably find it. But um, basically, they took a number of children from, it was an orphanage. And what they did was, I think they were age four to seven when they enrolled them. This study would never be approved today, by the way. <laughs> and what they did was they gave them a selection from 30, I think it was 36 foods. And at each meal, they got 30, or sorry, they got six foods put in front of them. The nurses, we're not allowed to tell them to eat any of them. All their job was to do is just to put them in front of them. And then the kids had to decide which ones to eat. And they all did very well. So from these 36 foods, and some of these foods were, you know, things that no one really, really eat today, like liver and organ meats. Um, there was fish on there. There was fruits and various fruits and vegetables. There was grains, there was salt, there was cod liver oil. Um, they noted that one, one kid, uh, when they were sick would eat more of the cod liver oil. And then when they Mm. were not sick anymore, maybe they were trying to get the vitamin D they, they didn't eat as much of it anymore. Um, some of them came into the study with like rickets with vitamin D deficiency and other deficiency symptoms. And by the end of this, this study, they had all thrived and were healthier than when they started. And the ones that had deficiencies didn't have deficiencies anymore. So Mm. this is a great example of how you know, kids are so intuitive. We kind of like breed that out of them, unfortunately, but they know what their body needs. They know what they want and they know to search for those nutrients if we just allow them and put in front of them real foods. Mm -hmm. So I love trying to let them kind of follow that intuition with their eating if possible. Mm -hmm. So that leads me to my, one of my final questions that I have for you. And that is, is there anything specific that you and Megan do with Finley to encourage good gut health, overall health, or is it just that, you know, you're giving him the good foods, you're hopefully getting in some of those fermented foods, lots of those fruits and vegetables. Is there anything specific you would recommend um, other than, you know, we talked about omega-3 and vitamin D that the um, parents listening might or could do to just support their kids growing up to have good gut health and good overall health? For sure. I think treating them like little adults is a great way to do it, you know, to a certain extent, but whatever we put in front of us, we put in front of him. There's no special kids meals. Mm -hmm. You know, that one of my biggest pet pet peeves is kids menus at restaurants. It's (laughs) like, you know, let's, let's have a nice fish with vegetables and let's give the kids like fries and chicken fingers or whatever. (laughs) Like, you know, they have all the same parts. They have the same physiology. They have the same processes. They need the same nutrients. So kids learn most of what they learn by modeling. If you're eating certain foods, if you're drinking certain drinks, then they're going to see that and they're going to want to model that. And that's how they're going to learn. You know, if, if you exercise, they're going to see you exercise. 
every morning I exercise and our, our little guy is, is there with me, you know, doing the exercises, seeing me do it and understanding that this is part of life. We have some good friends, um, uh, who, you know, they're a couple and, and they have a, a couple kids at this point, but, um, when, before they had kids, they decided to go completely organic and clean up their diet. That was their turning point. They were eating a lot of processed foods. They're like, if our kids, if we want our kids eating this good stuff, we have to do it. Mm-hmm. And that was their turning point and they haven't turned back. So I think the modeling is so important and you gotta, you gotta practice what you preach. Um, if, if you want your kids to eat something, you gotta do it too. And you gotta be on board and it'll make everyone healthier in the long run. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. We notice differences in our kids' behavior, especially when they've been, you know, we've been out at, you know, friends' parties or out and about, things like that. Um, and we notice that they they are just they're not the same kids when they're eating a lot of processed foods versus us eating a lot at home. So it uh it is powerful to show them, you know, serve those really great foods at home and to serve them those really good foods and be that example for them. We joke that our kids are really expensive uh, when we go out to restaurants because one of my oldest daughter, her favorite thing on the menu is mussels. So if there's a menu, she can read now. So if there's a menu and they have mussels on the menu, that is that is what she wants. And so she gets like the $17 appetizer versus like the, That's amazing. $5 kids menu. So Because <laughs> they yeah. know where the good stuff is, right? right? The stuff yeah. that tastes great. Right. That's what it's all about. (laughs) But you know what? I I mean, just just a side note here is you mentioned their behavior after they go and eat certain foods is like how many kids would have their ADD or ADHD cured by cleaning up their diet Mm -hmm. and they get on this roller coaster. Right. So, you know, if they're having their frosted flakes for breakfast and then they go to school and they're on this blood sugar roller coaster and they can't focus and they can't behave then, you know, their parents are told, Hey, your, your kid can't concentrate. They've got ADD or ADHD. Mm-hmm. The solution to that is let's put them on an amphetamine. Let's put them on a drug that helps them concentrate. And then they're on a drug and then it creates the snowball effect all because they weren't following the laws of mother nature. They weren't eating mm-hmm. the right foods for the body and doing the right things for the body. And then it creates this whole other level of imbalance. So we really got to start with the foundations and the fundamentals first. That's where it's all about. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. hundred percent for us, for our kids. Totally. Okay. So I could keep talking to you for hours, but I want to honor your time. Um, so do you have any last pieces of wisdom for the person listening who might feel kind of lost in their journey to health? I think you've given a lot of good advice, but anything that we missed, anything that you want to add? Well, one of the things that I ask my audience is when I do do talks in person, which used to happen a lot more often, is I say, does everyone know at least one thing that they can do today to improve their health? And everybody's hand goes up. So most people know what they need to do. It's just a matter of doing it. Um, You know, knowledge is useless without application. So it's applied knowledge where the power is. And I would encourage anyone listening to this to write down one to three things that they're going to implement and stick with. Because I, I love podcasts and I'm sure you love podcasts. You have a mm-hmm. podcast. I'm sure you listen to podcasts, but they can come and go so fast. I don't know how many podcasts I've listened to where there's been so much good information and then I forget it all because I never did anything about it. Um, you know, this stuff is only useful if people are actually doing something about it. So take one to three things from what we've spoken about today and just do it for at least a week. 
definitely a month would be great. And hopefully the rest of your life, because that's what actually creates lasting change is when we can do this over a lifetime. Mm, Yes. Oh my gosh. So good. I love it. So one to three things, go and implement those. So I have some fun little rapid fire questions that we do at the very end, but before we get to those, where can my listeners connect with you and the work you do? Where can they meet with you if they want to meet with you? They can find out everything about me at joshgitalis.com. I split my time between my clinical practice and teaching. So I have a full functional nutrition certification program. uh, And I also, most of the courses in that program are standalones as well. If anyone's looking to dive in and learn a little bit more, they're offered to all the way from health enthusiasts to actual practitioners working with people. So they can check that all out at joshgitalis.com. And if you haven't connected with me on Instagram. That's one of my favorite places to post stuff. I just enjoy the process. Uh, Definitely add me on Instagram so you can see uh, different posts there as well. Thanks for asking me, Kristen, about that. Awesome. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. This has been so great. Um, Let me just ask you the fun little rapid fires. If you have a couple minutes, because I know we've been on for quite some time. (laughs) Um, So my first one, I think I'm very curious for your answer to this one. Coffee or tea? I could go off on this for a very long time, but I won't because this is rapid fire Uh, because I used to be addicted to coffee in university. I think that's how I got through university and then broke up with it. And now I use it a lot more responsibly, but definitely it would be tea. My wife always makes fun of me that I need a tea ceremony for everything. Um, You know, right now I'm sipping on um, a second cup of jasmine green tea, which is one of my favorites. Actually, again, Maicha is my favorite. And Just an interesting little side fact is that in your first cup of green tea, you get the most caffeine and the least amount of catechins, which are those great antioxidants. But in a second cup, you get way less caffeine and you get way more of the antioxidants. So if you have a good green tea, make sure to brew it twice because you're going to get all the benefits that way. Oh my gosh. I didn't, I did not know that because I love Mm -hmm. Jasmine green tea is actually one of my favorites and I quit coffee last year too. And it's, uh, it's been, it's been super, it's been super helpful for my hormone balance, especially. Um, Mm -hmm. so I needed to do it because I had gotten to a point of using it irresponsibly. Um, and so Jasmine green tea is one of my favorites and I will oftentimes refill after. And I'm like, it's not, it's kind of weaker, but I, it still has the flavor. So I'm doing something good for my health. So that feels really good. <laughs> Intuitive drinking, Kristen, you're doing yes. it. You you knew, you knew there was something good in there still. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to keep doing it then. <laughs> okay. Question number two, podcast or book? It depends. <laughs> um, I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time. Uh, I often listen to them while I'm working out. And it's a great way for me to consume that information. Kind of hard to read a book while you're doing, you know, a deadlift, right? <laughs> um, but but and with with uh, books, um, you know, I love you know if a good novel. There's nothing like a good novel, mm-hmm. and I kind of committed to trying to go between nonfiction and fiction for a while because I was just doing too much of the nonfiction. But uh, to, to to sink into a deliciously awesome, well-written book is there's nothing like it. Mm, I agree. So what did you eat for breakfast this morning? Today I had our homemade almond bread. It's actually my wife, Megan Taupiner's Mm -hmm. recipe. You can find it on her website if you just type in almond bread and it's a grain-free bread. And I, on top of that, 
I had some uh, grass-fed cream cheese, which mm. I recently discovered, with some wild blueberry jam on there. And I had an elixir with that, which had um, dandy blend in it. It had a little bit of my elixir in it. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm sure mm. you've heard of it, but it's a chocolate-based powder with some adaptogens. I had some collagen in there. Um, a few other little things as well, but yeah, it's delicious. Sounds delicious and super nutrient dense. I love it. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that I expected anything less. (laughs) (laughs) So then what is your first choice? Oh, sorry. One more thing. My son had the same thing. Oh, awesome. By the way. I love that. (laughs) And he even takes a sip of the elixir sometimes. So that's all I love that. (laughs) (laughs) I was developing smoothie recipes yesterday and I was planning Mm. on keeping a couple of them to have for breakfast the next couple of days. I don't like to keep them too long. Mm. Um, But my daughter was like, can I try that one? And I was like, yeah, sure. Of course. And she takes it and she's drinking it and she's drinking. I'm like, do you just want it? (laughs) She's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, they're full of so many good things. You yeah. Right. I'm like, okay, I guess that's not my smoothie anymore. Um, so what is your first choice when ordering takeout? There's a place in Toronto called impact kitchen. Have you ever eaten there Mm, when you've been here? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's all organic. Um, it's all gluten-free and it's, it's, they just have the most delicious stuff. It's, it's one of the greatest mm-hmm. things and they're opening more and more locations, which is fantastic. So shout out to the, to the, one of the owners, Josh, Josh Braun there. Um, and my clinic, which I, I gave up in June of this year at the bricks and mortar. Um, it's all, I, um, I'm work all online now. It was like a block away from there. So that was, mm-hmm. that was one of my go-tos, um, impact kitchen. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, next time I'm in Toronto, I'm going to have to try it. Cause I wonder if yeah. it came after, after Amazing. I left, cause it's been a few years since I've been there. So yeah, probably. So early bird or night owl early, always. I finally convinced my wife with the time change to take advantage of that one hour and get to bed mm-hmm. earlier and wake up earlier. So now I, uh, I can fit my workouts in, in the morning without being woken up by my son and interrupted, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we, we so go to nice. bed lights out at nine and I'm up by like four thirty-five o'clock every day now. Mm, oh, I'm like that too. So I love that. I love okay. the morning back in, back in my university days, I would give up the night to wake up earlier and study in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's just always when my brain has worked its best. Yeah. That's so funny. I was exactly like that too. And I was that kid in college with my uh, eye mask on and my earplugs while my roommates would stay awake (laughs) until like midnight, one in the morning later. And I would study in the morning too. So, so interesting that we are still early birds, even after all these years. (laughs) hundred percent. So my last question, because this is the healthy balance mama podcast, and we like to talk about balance in every area. What does balance mean to you in this season? Well, balance, I think is something that it's kind of a paradox because you're never actually in balance physically, Mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally, you know, you're always dealing with the trials and tribulations of life and probably a lot more over the past couple of years. So balance is always just about trying to move in that direction, trying to constantly go up the slope of health by following those laws of mother nature that I spoke about earlier. And when we do that, we can stay closer to that state of balance, right? And we feel good. We know in our brain and in our mental health when we're doing more of the right things versus more of the wrong things. Our our emotions are one of those things I was talking about that are symptoms. It's the language of the body. You know, if someone is depressed or anxious all the time, 
It's not a, there's nothing wrong with their brain. There's nothing wrong with them. That is merely a symptom of certain things that are out of balance and they need to look at their life. They need to look at their diet. They need to look at their environment and figure out what's out of balance there. So when I'm talking about balance, it's about trying to follow what, what you're true to. And the more of that, that you do, the better balance I think you'll have. Mm, oh my gosh. I love this question because it, it always feels like the perfect way to end things, even though, like I said, we could definitely keep talking. <laughs> this was so fantastic, Josh. Oh my gosh, so much good information. I'm sure they're going to have more than one to three things to implement, but hopefully they'll narrow it down <laughs> so they can get started on something, especially since this is coming out in the new year. I think that this is a fantastic conversation um, on what we can do for holistic health in general, especially with gut health. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Well, thanks for having me. I really had fun with this and um, I love what you're doing too. Like with your, your videos and Instagram and podcasts, you're bringing such great information to everyone. So keep up the good work on your end as well. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Balance Mama podcast. If you loved it, would you take a screenshot and share it with a friend over on Instagram and tag me in it? It helps me so much to know what you love and are taking away from each episode. If you really loved it, would you hop over to iTunes and give me a star rating and review? Every rating and review helps this podcast be seen and heard by more women who need to hear the message of balance and wellness without deprivation. It's the best free gift you could give me. And as a reminder, the information and opinions on this podcast are meant for education and inspiration only and are not to be taken as medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult with a trusted practitioner before making any changes. Have a beautiful day, friend, and I'll see you in the next episode.